Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half hour of sci-fi, followed by 30 minutes of a mystery drama. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. And now stay tuned for X-1. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. X minus one. Tonight, Wherever You May Be, by James E. Gunn. Uh, Hey. Hey, you. A little girl. You on the fence. Yeah. Hey, kid, come here. Well, I'm right comfortable where I am. Oh. Uh, listen, kid. Is there a service station on this road? Well, Merv Wheelock got a gas pump at the general store. Oh? Uh, how far is it? About 18 miles. Oh, that's a big help. Well, I don't know what else to expect in the middle of the Ozarks. You want me to help you, mister? No, just keep out of the way, kid. Ow! <laughs> well, there's nothing funny about that. You're just going to sit there and watch me sweat, kid? Oh, no. There'll be lots more to watch. Well, I don't know what's so amusing about watching a man change a flat tire. Ow! (laughs) You sure you don't want me to help, mister? No, I'm perfectly capable of changing a tire by myself. It's rolling away. What? Your tire. It's rolling away. Uh, Hey, hey. Come back here, you. This is the most sadistic tire I ever... Now, stay put. Why don't you go home? Can't. Why not? I run away. Oh, well, that's tough. There. Now, listen, kid. You know a cabin about 15 miles up the road? I reckon. You know where the turnoff is? There ain't no turnoff. You just drive till the road peters out and you take the footpath. You gonna live in that place? Mm Mm-hmm. Just for the summer. Oh. Well, so long, kid. Oh, mister. Hey, mister. Now what do you want? Well, nothing. Only you forgot your jack. Oh, that does it. Where are you going? No place. 
Thought you said you ran away. I surely did. Don't you have any relatives? No. Friends? No. All right, then. Go on home. <laughs> oh, come on now. What are you crying for? <laughs> all right, all right. Get in. I'll give you a lift. Uh, listen, look out for those notes. There's over a year's work in those. Oh, a year's work in them pieces of paper? Uh-huh. Those are notes for the thesis I'm going to write. You write stories? No, research paper. I have to do it to get my degree at the university. Well, what's it called? I mean, the story you're writing. It's not a... It's called The Psychodynamics of Witchcraft with special reference to the Salem Trials of 1692. Oh. Witches? Yeah. All right, where do you live, kid? Well, I can't go home. Pod beat me again. Oh, he pretty nigh skinned me alive, I guess. You mean he hit you? little kid like you? Well, he don't use his fists. Uh, not often. He uses his belt mostly. Look. Look here. On my knee. See that black and blue mark? And this one? Uh, never mind. Why does he hit you? He's just mean. Well, he must have some reason. Oh, he wants me to catch some strong young fellow who do the work around the place. A gal don't bring in no money, he says. Leastwise, not a good one. You're much too young to get married. I'm 16. You don't look more than... Well, I don't know. Most girls my age got a couple of young ones. One anyways. <laughs> the way Pa carries on, you'd think I didn't want to get married. Now, it ain't my fault no fellow wants me. <laughs> what seems to be the trouble? Mostly, I guess I'm just unlucky. One fella I went with pretty nearly a year. He busted his leg. Another now well drowned when he fell in the lake. Now, it don't seem right they should blame me, even though we did have words. Blame you? Well, they say it's caught in disaster instead of a gal. Fellas just stopped coming round. You, um, you married, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Matthew Wright. No, I'm not married. Right. Abigail Wright. That's right, Purdy. Abigail Wright? Oh, did I say that? Now, ain't that funny? My name's Jenkins. <laughs> Jenkins? Oh, fine. Uh, I met your daughter on the road. <laughs> I brought her back. Oh. Uh, look, Mr. Jenkins, I got a pint bottle in my pocket. Care for a little drink? <sighs> Terrible week. Well, I'm sorry. I, uh, I repeat, I brought your daughter back. Why? Well, she had no place to go. She ran away. Uh, now, look, Mr. Jenkins, I realize that teenage daughters can be a nuisance, and after meeting your daughter, I can understand how you feel. Still and all, she is your daughter. Got my doubts. Now, Mr. Jenkins, your daughter may have given you good reason to lose your temper, but beating a child is never sound psychology. Beat her? You mean walloper, whaler? Man, I never laid a hand to her. I dasn't. But, but she said... Come in here. Oh, now, Mr. Jenkins, I assure Come you... Come in the right... cabin. You look around this here room, mister. See them dishes all over the floor, those chairs all splintered like they was kindling? 
That table turned over bottom side topmost like a turtle on the road. You think I beat her? Well, the place is a shambles. I ain't saying Abby did it. But when she gets unhappy, things happen. Dishes come flying through the air. Funny things happen around Ab. Ever since she started filling out five or six years ago. Well, she's only 16. 16? Don't let on I told you, but she's past 18. There, you see? Well, it just fell off the shelf. Well, look, uh, you're a city fella, passable looking. Why don't you take her with you? T- what? Oh, now, 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 wait a minute, Mr. Jenkins. But she's right pretty when she fixes up, and she can cook right smart. Go on, take her. Well, you must be mad. You can't give a girl away like that. I... If you'll excuse me, I think I'd better be going. Nobody asked you to bring her back. The gal eats more than I do. Oh, now, look, here. Uh, uh, here's uh, $10. <laughs> Buy yourself a jug. Well, uh, I'd like to, but I can't do it. It ain't worth it. You brought her back, you can take her away. Oh, here, uh, here's 15. Well, I should know better. All right, mister. Uh, I'll get her. It ain't no use, though, I can tell you, mister. All right, Abigail, get out of the car, you're home. But, Pa... Oh, he isn't mad at you, he's welcoming you back. Now, come on, get out. Dirty, nasty old man. Certain right if that bottle he's pulling busted right over his head. Uh, goodbye, Abby. And remind me never to see you again. What are you doing here? Waiting for you. But listen, this is... This is my cabin. I rented it. I know. What kept you? Well, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Oh, I reckon you're hungry. Look, why don't you sit down? Supper's about ready. Now, wait a minute. I came here by car. How did you get here? Well, I rode. Oh, it's lucky I did. This place needed a good sweeping. Is that your broom? I know. It was here in the cabin. Pa loaned me a mule. I let her go. She'll get home all right. But you can't stay here. It's impossible. What would people say? Well, who'd care? Pa don't. Oh, please, Mr. Wright, let me cook and clean for you. I won't be no trouble. Honest, I wouldn't. Oh, now, look, Abby, you're a nice girl, and I like you, but you'll just have to go back to your father, do you understand? (laughs) All right. What? What? What was that? What happened? What a... Oh, look at that. The car. I... I must have left the brake off. You reckon it's hurt bad? Well, rolling down a ten-foot grade into a tree didn't help it any. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Wright. Are you? Well, anyway, it looks like you'll have to stay here tonight then, doesn't it? I reckon. I could have sworn I put that brake on. Listen, you're going back first thing in the morning. Oh, sure. Sure, Mr. Wright. I understand. Abby, Hmm? uh, tell me something. Who wrecked your father's house? Libby. Libby, huh? Who's Libby? The other me. Mostly I keep her bottled up inside. But when I feel sad and unhappy, I just can't keep her in. Then she just lets loose and goes wild. Hmm. 
Schizo. Uh, <clears throat> Abby, where did you get an idea like that? Well, when I was born, I had a twin sister. Only she died real quick. And when I was bad, my ma used to say Libby would never have been mean or cross or naughty. So when I'd done something bad, I started saying Libby done it. I guess after a while, I'd begun to believe it myself. Um, can you control it, Abby? Not much. You see, when I get feeling mad and mean, things just happen, that's all. How about a rolling tire? <laughs> you sure did look funny. Oh, I was just feeling mean about Pa, I guess, and I took it out on you. <laughs> I don't believe it. It's absolutely impossible. It's, 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 it's primitive. It's straight out of Frazier's golden bow. There's got to be some explanation. Hmm? Illusion or hypnosis, there's got to be some physical explanation. Well, I don't see why. I mean, if a thing just happens, you don't have to explain it. It's just there, ain't it? All right, all right. Here, here. Now, uh, make that cup move. Why? I want to see you do it. But I don't want to. I never wanted to do it. It just happened. Oh, come on, try. Now, no, Mr. Wright. Look, it never brung me nothing but misery. It's bad enough when you, you can't help it, but it's worse when you do it on purpose. Nothing good will come of come it. Come on, try. I want you to move that cup. Now, go ahead, Abby. Just move it without touching it. I can't. I just can't. Why not? Why can't you? I don't know. I guess it's because I'm happy. Oh. You can't move it now. No. All right. All right, then get your things. You're going back to your father right now. No, 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 I ain't going. I can't. Ah, listen, listen to you. You're a stupid backwoods girl. Can't. What kind of a way of talking is that? You're going back to your father because you're an ignorant, dirty oh, I... hillbilly. <laughs> Abby. Abby, you did it. You did it. It came right at my head. Do I have to go back? Oh, no, 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 sir. Not if you help me. Abby, I've got a hold of something here that... What a thesis! Um, Abby? Hmm? What's, uh, courting like here in the hills? Oh, sometimes we walk and look at things together and talk a little. But if the night is warm, we just sit and hold hands and Whatever. <laughs> like this? Mr. Wright, uh, do you like me a little bit? Oh, not marrying-like, but friendly-like? I like you very much, Abby. Very much. Oh, Mr. Wright. <sighs> you kiss real pretty. <sighs> Uh, <clears throat> Abby, what happened to your fellas? I mean, uh, the other boys. Well, folks said I'd the evil eye. I mean, Hank fell off the roof and broke his leg, and, and Gene, well, he fell in the lake and liked to drown. It wasn't my fault it was after we'd had words, now, was it? Uh, no, no, no. Why, Mr. Wright, you're shivering. Maybe we'd better go get your jacket. Abby, tomorrow we're going to drive to Springfield to do some shopping. Really, Mr. Wright? Why, I ain't never been to Springfield. Oh, ain't that wonderful? Oh, 
right. Huh. Are you happy, Abby? <laughs> oh, it's the happiest I've ever been in my life. I mean, eating in a fancy restaurant and, and even dancing and all. And, oh, and now us just sitting here together in the moonlight. Well, I never thought anything like this would happen to me. Abby, I'm afraid maybe you don't understand. Well, what do you mean, Mr. Wright? Oh, you know that dress I bought you? That's, uh, that's for another girl. What? Yeah, it's for another girl. I'm, uh, I'm going to marry her. She's about your size, and I thought we could pick it out that way. Oh, no, I... Oh, Mr. Wright... Abby, Abby, wait a minute. Where are you going? Wait, I want to talk to you. No, I'm going to bed. <laughs> uh, Matthew Wright... You are a no-good, miserable cad. You want any more coffee? You still feel bad, Abby? You want me to move that cup for you today? I can do it real good. How do you know? Well, I just got a feeling. Look. You can do it now? Sure, I guess. It's getting easier. Look, Abby, I want to get some things out of the car. I just happen to have them things for tests. There may be other powers. Well, I don't care much one way or the other, Mr. Wright. If it makes you happy, it's all right with me. Abby? Abby, where are you? Abby, where did you go? Abby? Here I am, Mr. Wright. Abby, where were you? Springfield. But that's 50 miles. I know. I just kind of wished I was there, and then I was. I brought back a frying pan I admired in that hardware store window. Ain't it pretty? Got a real copper bottom. <laughs> Didn't you have any trouble getting out of the store without anyone seeing you? Well, I, I was outside, but I could see in the back room somehow, too. I knew his name was Albert, and he was doing a crossword puzzle. Now, how could you tell all that? Well, I just kind of looked inside of his thinking. Like this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Abby, don't. I could look right inside your thinking now, Mr. Wright. Abby, I... Abby, wait a minute. Abby. <gasps> you wouldn't. You didn't. Well, no. Now, wait a minute, Abby. You've got to understand. I understand. I understand everything you've been thinking. You devil. Well, there ain't nothing too bad for anyone to do that. Well, you've got to let me explain. You, with your kindness and your city manners. How could you do it? You made me fall in love with you. It was just a trick. You just wanted to make me unhappy, that's all. Why, even Pa was never that mean. I'd as soon marry up with a rattlesnake. Well, Abby, what are you going to do? Well, I haven't made up my mind yet, but I'll think of something. some way out of it. She's in that other room thinking what to do to me. I've got to think of some way. No, 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 it's no use. As soon as I think of it, she knows. Oh, got to keep my mind busy. Uh, uh, uh. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as maybe if I could get her father. No, no. Uh, if there are uh, two outs and bases loaded or men on first and second and a ball is hit, which in the opinion of the umpire can be handled by an infielder, the infield fly rule shall be invoked and the batter is called out. 
the base runners may advance at their own peril. Their peril, their, their peril, their peril. I've got to think. No, no, Daddy I mustn't think. Make the cherry pies, Matty boy, Matty boy. Oh, no, she's absolutely certain now she can do anything she wants to. I've got to act on the spur of the moment, keep my mind crowded with something else. Oh, that's oh, a lovely day. Breathes there a man with soul so dead. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. <laughs> Froggy went a-courting, and he did ride, sword and pistol by his side, ring Tom body Michikambo. <sighs> Full fathom five my father lies, of his bones are coral made. Seabirds hourly toll his knell. Hark, I hear them. Ding, dong, dell. That's pretty. <gasps> Abby. Where are we going? Oh, Abby. Hmm? What are you doing here? I couldn't let you leave without me. I've got plans for you. Oh? Very interesting plans. But how could you tell I left? I was thinking all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. Matt, you were thinking some of the cutest little rhymes. Oh, but that was on top. On top? Why, sure. Way underneath, I could hear plain what you were thinking about running away in this old car. Well, then why didn't you stop me? Conk out the motor or something? Oh, I didn't want to. I told you I could see way down underneath the top of your thinking... And you know what I found there? All the time, even when you were making me unhappy to test all them strange things I learned how to do, way down deep, you're in love with me. I am. Surely true. So, we're going to get married. Are we? Mm-hmm. There isn't much you can do about it now, is there? <laughs> no. No, I suppose not, but... You know, it's a frightening thought getting married to you, Abby. A wife who can read your mind and all the rest. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't worry about it, darling. Why, I can only do those things when I'm downright miserable. Everything will be perfectly all right. Just as long as you keep me happy. <laughs> by transcription, X-1 has brought you Wherever You May Be, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by James E. Gunn and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were William Redfield, Patsy O'Shea, and Jack Orison. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter.
Muchacha. But not while I watch Ouch, you. Let's, let's get, get away, away from, from it all. They say there's no place quite like home, a charming thought and pure. Not true. But until the world we roam, how, how can, can we, we be sure? Let's spend a week in Dixie. I'll get a real southern draw. Another one? Then off to Reno But just to play Keno Let's get away from it Off to Niagara. 
Niagara This time we're digging the falls Yes, we're leaving We're hitting the road Oh, we're leaving We're hitting the road Yes, we're leaving We're hitting the road Oh, we're getting away from it all You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. Mystery Playhouse, starring Boris Karloff. Another program in its dramatic series in which you hear Boris Karloff transcribed each week in the leading role. Mystery Playhouse is, in a sense, a radio anthology of strange, exciting, and bizarre tales. Tales of a kind the world has enjoyed since time began. Tonight, Boris Karloff will tell us a story of a man and wife who suspect each other of being a criminal. It is called The Night Reveals, and Boris Karloff will play the role of Harry Jordan. There was something about my wife that distressed me. I don't know exactly what it was. The way she looked at me is the way she didn't look at me. There was something on her mind. But let me tell it to you from the very beginning. About two weeks ago, I came home quite late, about one in the morning. You see, I'm an investigator for the Herkheimer Fire Insurance Company, and it often keeps me very busy. My wife, Marie, and my son, Johnny, were both fast asleep. I undressed and went right to bed, and dozed off almost at once. And then, I was suddenly sitting upright in bed with a strange fever. I looked over at my wife's bed. It was empty. I went into Johnny's room. She wasn't there. And she wasn't in the house at all. I looked at my watch. It's 1.30, just half an hour since I came home. I dressed quickly and went out and rang the elevator bell. Steve, the night man, was a long time in coming up. I stood there, nervous and worried, not knowing what was going on. Sorry to be so long, Mr. Jordan. That's all right, Steve. Made my family's keeping you rather busy. Yes, sir. How long ago did my wife go down? Um, about 20 minutes, sir. I was just getting a little worried. She went to the drugstore. Well, the only one open now is the one on 96th Street. I guess that's what's keeping Mrs. Jordan. It's a long walk. Anything wrong, Mr. Oh, Jordan? Oh, no, nothing, nothing. She just went to get some aspirin. Of course, that's what it was. She had gone to the drugstore. I was just making a fool of myself. I walked slowly towards 96th Street, and when I reached the corner, I looked down the avenue, but there was no one in sight. I turned and began to walk slowly back to the house when I heard footsteps behind me. I turned around. It was Marie. She was as surprised as I was. Oh, Harry. I was getting worried about you when I saw you weren't in bed. Well, I, I walk with a dreadful headache. 
There wasn't any aspirin, so I went to the drugstore. But I, I just bought a large bottle only a couple of days ago. You did? Uh, I didn't know. Anyway, you shouldn't worry about me, dear. I was only gone about five minutes. Five? That's all it took me. Uh, you were coming from 101st Street. Uh, there's no drugstore there. Oh, you're wrong, dear. I uh, came from the other direction. Oh, I guess I was mistaken. Uh, where's... Uh, Where's the aspirin you just bought? Right in my bag. Come on, Harry. Let's go back home. We went home. Went right to bed. But I couldn't sleep. And I knew she wasn't sleeping either. I wanted to talk to her, but... But I didn't know what to say. Where to begin. Harry. Yes? Why aren't you asleep? Oh, I don't know. Just not sleepy. I don't seem to be able to... Harry, drop off. there's a fire somewhere. Don't you hear the engines? Why, they're going north. That's around my district, 115th Street. Yes. Well, let's see if we can try and get some sleep. Good night, dear. Good night. As soon as I got to my desk the following morning, Mr. Parminter, the head of my department, sent word for me to come into his office. I put my hat away and went at once. Oh, hello, Jordan. Close the door and come in, please. Yes, sir. Jordan, we had a bad fire in one of our buildings about 1.30 this morning. Oh, uh, in my district? Yes, the one on 115th Street. The tenement house? Yes. Uh, any, anyone hurt? Fortunately, no. If it weren't for the new fire escapes put in last month, this would have been one of the worst tragedies in the city. You know how it started? Well, I was there last night. I think it started in the hallway. I'm not sure. Arson? Well, I don't know. I'd like you to take a look. The building was heavily insured. Our company is in deep. I'm ready to go right now, Mr. Barber. Good. You'll get your hat and we'll leave at once. <laughs> stood before the building and looked at the charred form of the tenement. It was hard to believe that it was still standing. It seemed as if one good wind would bring the entire structure crashing down. There she is. A Lulu, isn't she? Yes. The fire drift marks show that the flames worked themselves up from the ground floor. Stairways acted like a bellows. I would say that in less than 15 minutes, the whole building was aflame from cellar to roof. That sure was. I know how these things can burn. Must have been a sheet of fire. Must have been something to look at. I don't remember seeing a building burn so fast. I'll go inside and see what I can find. Oh, now, maybe you'd better not. Fire department has it all roped off. It's too dangerous. Oh, that's my job. Maybe I can discover something. Now, look here, Jordan. It's not part of your job to get yourself killed. Oh, I can take care of myself. I'll be back in a few minutes. I held my breath. My heart hammered away at my ribs as I walked carefully into what was once a hallway. The ashes and charred wood underfoot were still warm. I touched nothing, for the hallway walls could collapse at a touch. It was hard to believe that this black hole in which I stood 
was once a hallway where people came and went. I reached the spot where the stairway once had been. Just a blackened metal railing came down from where the first floor had been. There'd been baby carriages here. The fire had contorted the frames so that they were just masses of fused metal. Jordan. I'm all right, Mr. Parmenter. Don't be a fool, Jordan. I'll be out in a minute. Poked around with my foot in the ashes and charred wood, but found nothing. And as I turned to go, something caught my eye. It was yellow and had a bright gleam. A piece of yellow metal that fused with a piece of twisted metal bar that had once been part of a baby carriage. Pried it loose with my penknife, put it in my pocket, and then went back. She's burnt hollow, isn't she? Yeah, she's a complete loss. This building will just have to be torn down. Learn anything? Started in the hallway under the stairs. Found a piece of yellow metal that doesn't belong in the frame of a baby carriage. Oh? Let's see it. Oh, I don't think it's anything. It's part of a baby carriage. Guess I'll take it home to the kid. He likes shiny, bright things. Any uh, possibility of arson? Oh, I don't know. It's, of course, it's always possible. On my way home, I fingered the yellow, shiny piece of metal. Ran my fingernail across it and it left a mark. So it wasn't steel. I knew what it was. Gold. But I also knew that there are no gold gadgets on baby carriages. anything the matter? No, why do you ask? Oh, your clothes, they're all full of ashes. Well, I got myself filthy looking over that building on the 115th Street. Daddy, Daddy. Hello, Johnny. How is my boy today? Mommy bought me a new boat. Did you buy me candy? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll get some for you later. You said you would. I've got some candy for you, Johnny. I want Danny to bring me some. Oh, Marie. Yes, dear. Where's your locket? You're not wearing it. no. Uh, no, Mr. Elias, the jeweler has it. He's fixing it. As a matter of fact, you brought it to him, dear. I don't remember. Oh, you never do. You're really terribly absent-minded, Harry. Daddy, can you bring me the nugget candy you brought me yesterday? Sure, I can. I'll bring it tomorrow when I come home from work. You know, it's funny, Marie. I, I really can't remember anything about the locket or going to the jeweler's. Well, then, if you didn't take it down to old Mr. Elias, it must still be in your suit. Which suit? I don't know what suit. Why don't you look through all your clothes? I'll do that right now. It was 18 carat gold and cost me a lot of money. Yes, I know, Harry. I'd be miserable if you lost it. Oh, I have a splitting headache. Maybe you'd better see a doctor. No. No, dear, I'll, I'll be all right. Daddy, can I have a penny? Two pennies? Here's a nickel, Johnny. I haven't got a penny. You'll have to take the nickel. I'm going to my room, Marie, and see if I can find that locket. I went to my room and locked the door. Then I took out the piece of yellow metal, studied it. It might have been round before the fire had distorted it. I examined it closely under the light. It seemed to have a seam of sorts 
got the penknife, tried to insert it at the seam, but it wouldn't give. Then I forced the blade into a small crack. I tried to force it open, but it wouldn't give. I kept trying and trying, and suddenly it gave, and it came apart. The inside of it was filled with tiny particles of shattered glass, and then I saw that it contained a scorched photograph. It was a picture of my son. This glob of yellow metal was my wife's locket. Daddy, tell me a story before I go to sleep. I just told you a story. Now go to bed, son. No, stay with me just a little while. Now, now, Johnny, you know our rule. I'll give you just one hug and that's all. No, two hugs. <laughs> all right. Uh, now. Good night. Sleep well. You too, Daddy. Harry. Oh, Marie, you, you startled me. I thought I heard Johnny cry. Just put him to bed. Go into the living room. I'd like to talk to you. When we got into the living room, I took out my pipe and lit it. Although I didn't look at her, I knew that she was watching me closely. And when I suddenly turned round and faced her squarely, I saw the anguish in her darting bird-like eyes. If there's something troubling you, Marie, I, I wish you'd tell me. There, there's nothing troubling me. If you're not feeling well, maybe you should see a doctor. No, dear, I'm feeling fine. Just one of those headaches. It's going away. Harry... I read about the fire on 115th Street in this afternoon's paper. Was it as bad as they said? Completely burned out, except for the brick walls. Burned like dry newspapers. It's one of those buildings in which the stairway's in the middle of the house, and if the fire is started right at the bottom of the stairs, it becomes a natural bellows. Whoever started that fire understood the character of fires pretty well. She watched me with eyes, now still, bright and tense. She listened to me with her whole body leaned towards me as I spoke of the fire, her fingers stiff and still upon the table. There's another building just like that, just round the corner. The red brick building with the turreted roof. You know the one I'm talking about? Yes. It's an old one. It's got the name Compton engraved near the roof. That's right. The Compton building. If a fire ever got started there, it wouldn't take more than ten minutes before the whole place would be a roaring furnace. Oh, my bike's gone out. Hand me the lighter, Marie. I'll light it for you, dear. Thanks. I'd rather light it myself. Oh. Fluid in it. Oh. What's happened to the matches in this drawer? I always keep it filled. I have a match. Did you take the matches out of the drawer? I needed them for the gas ring. All of them? There was a whole carton of matches. I just took the carton. Give me the rest of the matches. Here, let, let me... No, I'll... I'll light it myself. The matchbook was crumpled as if it had been held tightly. I had to strike the match and the cover several times before it took flame with a tiny, explosive sound. It sputtered and hissed a little as it slowly 
crawl down the matchstick. The cone-shaped flame, bright yellow on top and blue at the base, grew larger as it fed on the matchstick. Marie stared at the flame. She stared at it with her mouth slightly open, staring at it as if it were alive and beautiful. I held the flame to my pipe. The living flame darted into the bowl and kindling the tobacco. Marie watched, and a quiver went through her. I put the match in the tray, and soon it curled up and died in her last tiny puff of smoke. Your purse, Marie. May I have it? My purse? Why do you want my... It's full of matches. Matches? Why should it be full of matches? Because you put them there. Oh, that's ridiculous. Let me have your purse. I'll show you. Ah, here we are. Crowded with matchbooks. Safety matches and two of my lighters. Oh, please don't take them, Harry. And here are several newspaper clippings. Clippings of fire. Fire on the 115th Street, a total loss. Police suspect arson and destructive fire on 3rd Avenue. And this clipping... Pyromaniac confesses how he started fire in warehouse without actual use of flame. He placed cotton waste soaked in oil underneath a pile of rags behind a stairway in a badly ventilated place. The cotton waste grew warmer and warmer until it burst into flame long after he was gone. Although he didn't get as much satisfaction as actually using a matchet, it was by far the safest way. Why are you saving all these clippings? I was going to give it to you. It might be of use to you in your fire investigation work. Yes. Yes, it would be very helpful. Harry, where are you going? Just going down to get a paper. Oh, it's very late, dear. Let's go to bed. I'm just going for a paper. I want to think over what is the best thing for us to do. Oh, Harry. Look, darling, go to bed. We'll talk about it tomorrow. When I returned, she was still up, busying herself with chores around the house, but I was tired and went to bed. I couldn't sleep and waited for Marie to come in. Finally, she did come in, but she was still dressed. She brought me a hot cup of cocoa. I brought you some cocoa, Harry. I don't want any. It'll make you fall asleep. Oh, I'll get by without it. Please, Harry, you need this. All right, all right. Leave it on the table. It doesn't taste very good when it's cold. I'll drink it right away. Good night, darling. Aren't you coming to bed? As soon as I finish sorting out Johnny's clothes. Sleep well. I didn't drink cocoa because I was sure it had other ingredients in it besides the sugar and cream. I got out of bed, found an empty bottle on the dresser, poured the cocoa into it and hid it under the bed. And I lay down again and waited. It must have been 20 minutes later when I heard the door open softly. Harry. Harry. I didn't answer or stir. She looked at me and looked at the empty cup and then walked out as softly as she had come in. Quickly dressed, but not quickly enough, for I heard the outer door close, put the bottle of cocoa in my pocket and hurried out and rang the elevator bell. Hello, Mr. Jordan. Hello, Steve. 
Your wife just went down a few minutes ago. I know. She walked towards third. I know that too. Take me down, please. I knew where she'd gone. The Compton building round the corner. I walked rapidly up to Third Avenue and then turned the corner. I half ran the short block and turned again and hurried to where the ugly red brick Compton building stood with its turreted roof. The street was deserted. The bright, harsh light of the street lamps made the street even more lonely. I walked up to the building and peered in. Far down the hallway where the stairway began, a figure crouched near the floor. I knew very well who it was. I walked down the hallway. Who, who is it? It's me. Harry! Come on, Marie. Let's get out of here. I was only trying I to... I know what you're trying to do. Let's go home. No, Come dear, on, I... Marie. Please, please don't protest anymore. <laughs> We didn't say a word until we got into the house. She was as pale as chalk and she looked so weary that I felt sorry for her. I was beginning to feel the strain myself. I closed my eyes for a moment and I could see the burning matchstick with its yellow and blue flame. Marie had slumped down in the chair and was staring moodily at the floor. I took the bottle of cocoa out of my pocket and put it on the table. Marie, I didn't drink the cocoa. What did you put in it? You might as well tell me before I have it analyzed. I ground the sleeping pill into powder. I had to do it. Harry, let's go to bed. I'm so tired I can't even talk. Let's get rid of all the matches. We'll burn them all. We can get a new start. I know we can. It's no good, Harry. It won't work. Of course it'll work, Marie, darling. We just must try. The it's food. no use. Too late. It's never too late. I'm going to burn up every match in the house. Oh, no, Harry. I don't want you to do that. That's the best way to start. Oh, please, Harry, don't. Oh. See? We burn them all. We'll burn them all in the tray. Give me the rest of them. No, Harry. I won't give them to you. I won't. I won't. <laughs> The large, heavy glass ashtray on the table, the book of matches, was burning quietly. Just one corner of the book was aflame. And from the other corner, a wisp of white smoke rose straight into the air, breaking near the ceiling. I thought the book would burn itself up. Suddenly, the fire went out, leaving half of it unburned. Stared at the charred book and then at Marie, who had watched the flame with fascination. Let me have the rest of the matches. No, Harry. Give them to me at once. Please, please, Harry, let's go to bed. Oh. I slapped her and then I reached for her purse. She wouldn't let oh. go of it and fought to hold it. I tried to twist it out of her grasp. She wrenched it out of my no. hand and ran towards the door. I caught her, but she fought back with the ferocity of a tigress. She clawed at me, scratching at my face. I fell back at the gate. She came off. A heavy glass ashtray with both hands and hurled it at my head. I remember the sharp, crushing pain and then nothing. When I came to, I was alone. There was a heavy, 
pulsating pain in my head. At first, I couldn't remember where I was or, or what had happened. Slowly, it all came back. I felt my head sticky with blood, went to the bathroom, washed it, and suddenly came to me. Johnny. Where was my boy, Johnny? I ran into his room, but he wasn't there. He wasn't in his bed. She had taken him and run away. I became panicky. Where would she run? One place she could go. Her sister, her sister Martha. I had to follow her there. I didn't wait for the elevator, but ran down all the six flights. Her sister lived in a four-flight walk-up. An old, but remodeled building. I stood in the hallway and looked up the stairs. I knew this kind of building. If they ever caught fire, they just wrote them off the book. Oh, please go away, Harry. Let me in just for a moment. What are you going to accomplish? We must talk about it. Where's Johnny? He's here. I want to see him. Here I am, Daddy. Here oh, I am. Johnny, where's your aunt? She went down to get some milk for Johnny. This hour? There's an all-night delicatessen down the street. What's that? I don't know. Some of the neighbors. Something must have happened. Smoke! There's smoke in the hallway. It's coming up from downstairs. The house is afire. We can't go down the stairs. The smoke's too thick. The roof's our only chance. Come on, let's go. Daddy! Don't be afraid, Johnny. The fire won't hurt you at all. <laughs> We were on the roof, and I could see the flames pouring out of the windows below. One side of our building was an empty parking lot, and the other an apartment house. There was a 15-foot space between us and the wall. The roof of the apartment house was two stories higher. Firemen on the roof getting ready to throw a rope down. Take it easy. We'll get you all off. Now, Johnny, get hold of the rope and they'll pull you up just like a game. I won't go alone. I want you to go with me. Johnny, you're a big boy. Tie the rope around his middle. That's it. Now, Sonny, look up at me and we'll take you right up just like an elevator. No! No! Marie, you'd better go first. No. Johnny goes. You must go, Johnny. I'll come right up after you. A few minutes later, we were all safe underground, watching the great fire, now a mass of flames eating the building up before our eyes. A policeman came over to us. Are you folks all right? Yes. But my husband, this man... What's the matter with him? Is he hurt? Yes, he's badly hurt. He's a pyromaniac. He set fire to this house. He set fire to many houses. I can't keep quiet any longer. I can't. I can't. Poor Murray. She just doesn't understand. She doesn't understand fires at all. Look how the cheerful flames play and laugh in the wind. Why, fire is joy. It's alive. Everybody knows that. Fire is the cleanest thing of all. It cleans everything it touches. Germs, filth, and sin. And everything that's ugly. Fire is life. 
It breathes life into dead wood, dead things. Well, not the fire out. It hates water. It wants to live, just like all of us. Please tell them to stop. Oh, they're choking her to death, my lovely, pure fire. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Mystery Playhouse, starring Boris Karloff. The Night Reveals, another program in dramatic series which has brought Boris Karloff to you each week transcribed in the leading role. The program was directed by Clark Andrews. The orchestra was conducted by Bernard Green. Heard tonight were Alice Frost as Marie and Arthur Vinton as Parmenter. The script adaptation was by Sigmund Miller from a short story by William Irish. The Old Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio.